Welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. Um, uh, this week uh, we are talking about um, indirectly the battery sector, which I know a lot of people um, who are regular readers of the Armchair Trader are very interested in. But um, in particular, we're talking about a company that we have been writing a lot about over the last year and, and in our view is um, one of the more interesting companies that we cover. Um, and that is Euromanganese, and we are lucky to have the CEO, Marco Romero, on the podcast today, who is going to be telling us a little bit more about the company, its objectives, and, and recent progress over the last few months. So uh, welcome to the show, Marco. Great to be here. No problem. Um, so Euromanganese, can you give those who are not familiar with it? I mean, I, there, there will be people who are, and um, for those who aren't, I would also encourage you to go to the armchair trader website um, where there is a lot of information on the company there but can you give us a quick summary of of euro manganese the business and and what you're up to in the high purity manganese space euro manganese is a public company we trade in canada as well as australia we have been for the last six years working on the development of a large, in fact, globally significant high purity manganese production operation in the Czech Republic. It entails the reprocessing of a very large waste pile that was deposited between 1951 and 1975 in former Czechoslovakia. We're about 90 kilometers out of Prague. And this is now a very advanced project we are in the midst of completing a feasibility study. We have uh, built a pilot plant, uh, which we operated a few years ago, and will now restart a customer request while we are building a demonstration plant. Uh, that is a seven times scale up of that operation in order to deliver uh, large scale samples for customer testing and supply chain qualification. And importantly, we're also quite advanced in the permitting of this project, and uh, that's proceeding rather well. Uh, we've not encountered any any opposition to the project. Um, we're we're moving along quite quickly. Our goal is to have the feasibility study as well as the demonstration plan completed uh, early next year. And then uh, later on uh, in the year to complete permitting. With all that, we would be in a position to make a final investment decision and hope to be in production by the early part of 2025 um, as one of the largest producers of these very important battery materials. So you, you touched on the fact that it's, um, this is not... I think it's important to emphasize this to listeners. This is not a mining project. This is a project in the Czech Republic, which is actually reprocessing waste that's come from a historic mine where the miner has left a big pile of waste. The grass has grown over it. And what you're proposing to do is take the manganese the high purity manganese from out of that waste pile that's already above ground and as i understand it has always been a little bit of um, an environmental hazard so the project is looking to take that that high purity manganese out for battery purposes and at the same time leave a more um, 
sort of environmental friendly and stable um, um, residue. That's very true, uh, Stuart. This is very much a waste recycling project. Uh, we don't have the impacts that a typical mining project would have, like drilling, blasting, crushing, milling. And uh, yes, indeed, this is a polluted site. And our plan entails um, a concurrent rehabilitation of this site. We expect to leave it, in fact, in far better environmental condition than it is today. And that's something that hasn't been lost on local communities, hence the lack of opposition to the project, but also importantly on the regulators and the customers who are looking for environmentally superior projects, of which we believe this will be one of the best available in the world. And and, and what you're after here is um, the high purity manganese. So for people who aren't familiar with, with A, what that is or what it's used for, um, can you can you explain a little bit of why that commodity is going to be so important? Well, we're talking about a very high purity uh, specialized product that is used now in the majority of lithium ion batteries for electric vehicles. In fact, most of the European automakers have committed to using manganese in their battery chemistries. Uh, it's pretty much almost every automaker you can think of right now. And what we see is the emergence of a very rapid increase in demand, um, which has begun now uh, as electric vehicle sales increase, and which we expect will accelerate in the coming years uh, as the plans of these automakers, the governments that want to see electric vehicles uh, come to fruition. And we are focused on this particular deposit uh, for many reasons, one of which it's the largest uh, manganese resource known in Europe right now. It just happens to be one where you can extract an, an extremely high purity product uh, very efficiently uh, by recycling this waste. And uh, the products that we have been so far producing in our pilot plant um, are among the highest quality available in the world, which is also very important because the safety and the performance of many of these batteries uh, relies on the quality, the purity of these products. So I think we are ticking a lot of boxes there from an environmental point of view, from a product quality point of view, and very importantly, uh, from a European provenance point of view. We, in fact, expect to become Europe's only primary producer of these products. There is no other project of its type being advanced anywhere in the European continent right now. And, and I think that's, that's an important fact to stress. And one, when we were first looking at the company, we, we were actually amazed at, that the, um, there's just such a dearth of supply of this material in Europe. And then what you're also talking about is from a geographical perspective, it's sitting there in the Czech Republic and it could, it, it's almost, you couldn't have placed it better, in fact, in terms of its proximity to the various sort of mega factories that are being built for batteries and for electric vehicles in Europe. I mean, if, if someone had said, oh, where would you like to place a big deposit of high purity manganese for batteries? I mean, it couldn't be far off from, from where it is at the moment. Yeah, we feel blessed, in fact, uh, very lucky to have found this resource 
Um, and yes, uh, you know, with the advent of this increase in demand um, across Europe, um, as you know, the automotive industry mobilizes to really pivot to an electric future, um, we have an opportunity to become a key supplier of what is an essential battery material, uh, which right now um, is largely provided out of China. Well over 80, if not 90% of the processing of this high purity manganese takes place in China. And uh, to be able to produce it locally, um, you know, with the, the, the peace of mind that comes with compliance with European environmental standards, um, you know, the focus on quality, the, 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 the verifiable, verifiability um, of uh, the provenance, um, I think has uh, put us in a, in a very good position. Uh, and it's actually attracted a great deal of interest from customers. Uh, it's uh, very clear that uh, Europe is uh, determined to develop uh, autonomous, uh, localized supply chains. And uh, we have the opportunity to become uh, a very important player there. Can you say a little bit about the, uh, I know you've done a lot of research yourself on, on the evolving um, European battery market, because this is obviously going to be a very um, important source of, of revenue for Euro manganese. Um, I, you have spoken already about the the, uh, the sort of importance of the proximity of um, of the project to the the, the fast growing European electric vehicle industry. Um, but but what's your what's your perspective on on specifically on the European battery market? How how do you see that growing in the near future? Well, the European battery industry is the fastest growing in the world today. There was initially a very Asian-focused wave led by China, um, Korea, Japan. And what we are seeing now is that wave washing over Europe. There are a multitude of large battery factory projects and all the related suppliers of battery materials and, and components. Um, and that is now moving quickly. There's numerous plants under construction from Scandinavia to Italy, um, you know, Germany, um, uh, and we see this uh, great um, opportunity for us to, to be um, a key supplier. We won't be able to supply all of them. There's only so much of this material we'll be able to make. In fact, the demand uh, across Europe and even the UK uh, is expected to outpace what we could ever produce. But for those that will be able to secure this product from us, uh, we'll be able to deliver that peace of mind that comes with knowing how the product is made and uh, having it, you know, locally based. So we, we see uh, a great deal of investment right now going into uh, change the way the you know vehicles are made uh, from you know internal combustion engines to electric vehicles following that is now the the emergence of the battery plants um, we're seeing cathode and precursor plants under construction as we speak and more being uh, on the books right now for 
for for development and uh, you know we we are striving to become that one supplier of choice uh, with quality with local sourcing um, you know, being some of the key elements here that we can offer can can you give us um, a little bit of a, a summary of where you are, um, you know, where, where the project stands at the moment? Yeah, like I was saying at the beginning, uh, we've been working for six years. We, we spent about $30 million to date on this project. Uh, one key front that we put a lot of uh, effort into is making sure this project uh, can fit in well into local community and, and local environment. And uh, a lot of attention to detail has, has gone into designing one that will not only comply with Czech and European Union environmental rules, but one that will truly fit into the community. So a lot of uh, local engagement has taken place. We filed um, earlier on for uh, what's known as a preliminary mining permit. We secured that very rapidly with, with really no opposition to it. We filed also uh, our preliminary environmental impact assessment in um, in 2019 actually uh, late 2019 and we were able to secure um, the clearing of that uh, filing uh, in the middle of last year and that essentially gave us the green light to proceed with what is known as the final environmental social and impact assessment that's under preparation as we speak again with good solid um, not only regulator but community uh, consultation taking place um, with that um, once it's filed and hopefully all approved quickly um, we will have the the, 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 the way uh, open for us to go develop this project in parallel with all that, and it's sort of an iterative process as we receive input from community regulators, we are now finalizing the design of the project in a feasibility study. We're getting now into very detailed engineering. And that uh, should culminate in this feasibility study, which we're now targeting for the end of Q1 next year. And in parallel with all this, um, is discussions with customers. And uh, that's been a very active front for us. Um, there's very serious interest in procuring these projects, these, excuse me, these products. And uh, that uh, we hope will culminate in the type of commercial agreements, the offtakes as we call them, um, that should allow us to uh, lock in uh, the, the strategic customers that we are after that could then facilitate financing of this project, something which we would be tackling uh, during 2022. In the meantime, we've been very well supported by a very strong group of shareholders um, across the world. Uh, we're very well financed um, and have all the funding we need right now to get to that final investment decision sometime next year. Can you, I know you're looking at um, setting up a demonstration plant. Could you give us some more detail on that and what that's, that's what the objective of that is? In 2018, um, when we were working on our preliminary 
economic assessment of the project. And when we were designing the process flow sheet for this project, we built a pilot plant. Uh, it was very successful, and we were able to confirm that the uh, process flow sheet, the approach that we had taken, um, was able to produce uh, extremely high purity uh, materials, which was uh, one of our key objectives. And at the same time, to do it uh, in a way that uh, gave us the best possible environmental performance for this project. We distributed these samples to customers, uh, got very favorable um, responses uh, from, from that. We signed actually five agreements, five memorandums of understanding, uh, which are early stage agreements with five customers. And more recently, um, we started getting interest from additional customers uh, for, the pro for the, this product, for testing this product. So we decided to refurbish, restart the, the pilot plant and um, we shipped uh, seven tons of uh, these tailings, this waste um, for processing uh, in that plant. And uh, that will be ongoing for the next few months. In the meantime, uh, we initiated construction of uh, and procurement of all the equipment for a much larger uh, version of this pilot plant, which we call our demonstration plant. It's seven times larger. And that fabrication is ongoing as we speak. Um, we expect to see the, uh, the plant delivered, sorry, shipped uh, later this year to site. And then it will go through a period of uh, installation commissioning uh, with the goal of being ready uh, to deliver much larger, multi-ton samples uh, to many customers uh, beginning sometime in the second quarter of next year. And that is a critical step because as we are not an existing producer, we need to have our products tested, the process flow sheet um, that we propose uh, to use verified uh, to give the confidence to the customers that they will be getting the product that they want. Um, it's a process that everyone in the industry has to go through. And um, and it's one that a lot of people underestimate. They think that, sure, I'll build a plant and people will buy our product. But we have to remember these are highly specialized products that go into uh, very demanding applications. It is not easy uh, to consistently make these very high-quality products um, with incredibly tight technical specifications. And that's where the demonstration plant comes in. It, it is a scale-up of that pilot plant, which was in turn a scale-up of a, of a laboratory scale or bench scale uh, testing that we did. And ultimately, it is the, uh, the proof of concept, the, the one that is expected to give the customers the confidence uh, that they need to commit to buying our products. You probably can't name names, but I was just out of curiosity. I was wondering what, what type of company would you be expecting to deal with directly? Would it would it be the actual battery manufacturer or are there other potential um, customers um, you could be talking to for something like this? Uh, we've made it no secret um, that we have been in discussions and even negotiations with a range of customers. Um, we typically would sell our product 
to a precursor maker. We would deliver to a precursor maker, which would then combine it with the other ingredients, namely cobalt, nickel, and prepare a precipitate, which then goes into uh, making these nanopowders that are known as cathodes, very, very fine powders um, that are almost like ceramic beads um, at, a, at a micro scale, at a nanoscale, actually. And um, what's happened of late is that a number of the supply chain players, the what we call the downstream players, these these now become the battery companies and ultimately the automotive companies have become active uh, in procuring these products. A lot of them want to secure their future because their future depends on it. Um, failure to get the products they want um, can result in interruption of uh, production of even automobiles. If, if there were to be, say, a complete stoppage of supply of manganese, high purity manganese, a bit like it's happened recently with um, semiconductors, chips. Um, you can get very significant effects on um, on their supply chains. And we're seeing a great deal more concern about making sure that their supply chains are s solid. And... Uh, the engagement we've had ranges uh, from automotive companies today to battery companies and some of the cathode and precursor producers. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I remember when we first spoke, um, and it was it was over a year ago, you were talking about supply chains and how important these were. And at the time, you know, the world was in a different place and, and uh, people weren't really experiencing the sort of disruption we're now experiencing where even basic items here in the UK are not necessarily being delivered on time. So so we can see now that supply chain of materials for, for the some next generation vehicle manufacturers is, is just going to be absolutely critical. I was listening to the news this morning um, and hearing about a Nissan auto plant that has been shut for two weeks and now it's going to be shut for an additional week because of a shortage of, of chips, semiconductors. And there are so many now with all the electronics in these vehicles. Um, the, the same dynamics could easily apply with interruptions in battery metals. Uh, for one reason or another, whether it's a, a supply-demand gap um, or any other factor that could interrupt supply, um, it makes the automakers ultimately very vulnerable. And this is a very significant shift for them as these new supply chains are being established as they shift to uh, making these electric vehicles. So uh, these are truly interesting times. And I think we're at the right place and at the right time. And, and I'm presuming, yes, as you say, it would require a lot of technical knowledge to be able to make something like this you know, work in the way that it's meant to. Yes, indeed. And, and look, what we, what we had to do as well um, is to seek a lot of very direct experience and know-how because nobody has built uh, one of these plants outside of China uh, for decades. Uh, 
all the, the, the real practical know-how um, has, has been you know, developed in China. We went to China and uh, sought the support, the expertise of some of the leading players there. And we've been working there now for five years, uh, built our pilot plant there. We're now building our demonstration plant, which uh, ultimately will be uh, relocated to site. And um, we were able to benefit from that know-how. Um, furthermore, we also have um, you know, a leading uh, expert in the production of uh, high-purity manganese products uh, that came out of South Africa, where there is uh, one other operation there that's been there for a long time, and uh, he's spent over 20 years at that facility, so a lot of good practical know-how as well as part of our in-house team. All this work you're doing is going to require a lot of expertise, a lot of technical expertise, um, both on the regulatory side and on the actual nuts and bolts engineering. Can you give us a little bit more background on, on who you've got um, working on the project? In-house, we have very strong project development, project finance, and importantly, uh, high-purity manganese production expertise. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Our managing director, uh, Jan Votava, in the Czech Republic, is a PhD engineer, uh, but that has been a captain of industry. His last job that he resigned to join us uh, f over four years ago now is uh, Lafarge Holson, the large cement and construction materials company. Uh, he was heading uh, their operations in the Czech Republic, so he's very familiar um, with what it takes to operate in the country. Uh, he's a very capable, competent man and a great leader. He's built uh, a team around him of professionals in a variety of fields, uh, environmental uh, science and permitting, uh, engineering, construction, uh, procurement, and all these people now are, are working as a team to complete the plan, the design of this project, the permitting of this project, and uh, expected to transition over time uh, into the actual construction and ultimately the operation of this plant. That's just one great example there. Our local team is very, very strong, capable, and respected. Uh, in Canada, I encourage you to take a look at uh, uh, our management team, uh, as well as our board of directors. There's a, a real depth of experience in developing these resource extraction projects financing them, uh, great governance, very strong focus on uh, environmental, uh, social governance uh, aspects of, of this type of endeavor. Um, so, you know, good, very strong team, very proud of the team, very committed, very hardworking team. I just wanted to revisit the the environmental aspect of the, the, um, the project. Um, we've already mentioned the fact that you're not, this is not a, a somebody going and digging a mine. This is somebody actually taking something out of existing mining waste. Um, the project is right in the middle of Europe. It's in the Czech Republic. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of hoops to jump through from an environmental perspective that don't necessarily apply in other parts of the world. Can you, can you just give us a, a quick summary of, of the amount of work that's got, that's gone into actually getting the permits you need? 
Well, I think your intuition is correct. Working in Europe is very demanding. Uh, we have some of the most uh, stringent uh, environmental regulations and a very rigorous uh, process to evaluate those. That involves not only regulators that make decisions, governments, but also communities. Uh, it's a very open process. Everything is online. Uh, anybody can review, anybody can comment, intervene. And we are held to a very, very high standard, no doubt, which is great because uh, I mean, the ultimate result um, is that you can't get away with some of the things that perhaps you could have gotten away with uh, in the past or, uh, or that perhaps others can get away with in different parts of the world. So it is a tough process. It is costly and it has implications for how we design this project. But like I said earlier, we are blessed, um, not only because of where we are in the world, uh, but because of the nature of the project. See, the, these tailings, this waste, these, this waste from this former mining operation has already been mined. It has already been crushed and milled and pulverized. So none of those impacts apply to this project. Um, which gives us, you know, from an environmental point of view, a, a very significant advantage. Uh, importantly as well, the standards that we are held to in terms of waste management um, are very demanding. And here again, we're not mining rock to take out a little bit of metal and leaving a big pile of waste behind. This is already waste. So we are not generating any significant new waste, which again, helps us a lot. Um, in permitting this project and gaining the, the, the social mandate, if you want, the, the support of communities, because that's one of the things that's perhaps least desirable about mining is not only the big hole that's made when you're, when you're mining, say, in an open pit, but the big pile of waste that you put behind, beside that. So we're, 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 we're lucky not to have to deal with uh, those impacts, but the, the real the real clencher for us here is that, as I mentioned earlier, this is a polluted site. Um, when it was operated in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was done at a time when the environmental standards were quite different than the ones that we have today. And the regulations, the practices, the best practices even, were nowhere near what we are held to today. So. The tailings themselves were just put in the floodplain of a valley uh, beside the very large open pit that was uh, that was dug, and like you said, the grass grew on them, and they were abandoned. Um, these big piles of waste, and what's uh, what's been happening since uh, since this 1975 is that every time it rains on these piles, the water percolates through the tailings and picks up metals and salts and dissolves them. And then these make it into the groundwater and created over these last several decades a plume of pollution um, underneath, which is you know, flowing not only in the groundwater, but it's actually making it into a nearby river. And by reprocessing this waste and by doing everything we do in compliance with these new standards, 
we will bring this site um, to a point where this pollution will stop because we will have to place everything on liners. The waste from the, the processing or the reprocessing of this material um, will uh, be put on, 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 essentially be contained, will be neutralized, um, and uh, that'll be the end of that pollution. We won't be able to get back what's already happened. Now, that's gone. It's like the fire has already burned, the smoke has already blown away. But we will certainly be able to stop um, the, the, the future smoke, and that is a major win for the local community. And in fact, one of the most gratifying aspects of of our community engagement has been just that, just the, you know, seeing people awaken to the opportunity to stop this pollution, but also uh, to bring this site back to some productive community use. And we've engaged with local children, um, all kinds of community groups uh, in searching for ideas on how we can make best use of this site after we're done. Um, because you know, we'll, we'll be there for 25 years uh, with the plan that we have right now producing these materials at, and at the end of which um, we can bring this site back to to to, to, to productive use and uh, that's another win for, for for local residents oh that's that's fantastic i mean uh 25 and also 25 years i mean that's you're certainly going to be there for the long term and 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 really speaking of which um um, just finally, I wanted to ask you about what what your next steps are. What 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 are the next? Um, I don't want to say obstacles, but the the next things that need to be achieved as you progress the project and and get it to a point where where it can start supplying the battery market, which will of course be very hungry for that that high purity manganese. To reiterate our our, our goals um, for the, the the next year and a half or so, uh, we want to complete our feasibility study. We want to complete our environmental impact and social environmental and social impact assessment, and we want to complete our demonstration plan. And with that, uh, to conclude our negotiations with customers, so that we can proceed with project finance uh, as well as construction of this facility, so that it can be in production uh, by early 2025. That's going to be an extremely interesting project for investors to follow, I think. It does tick a lot of boxes in the green investing space and certainly in the battery material space, which we know has been something a lot of our readers have been following extremely closely. Thank you very much indeed, Marco, for your time this afternoon and just giving us an update on the project. And it was a good summary for those of you who aren't yet familiar with it. Thank you very much, Stuart. Really appreciate the opportunity to tell our story. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com, for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.